before we start, many, 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 many heartfelt thanks to our new Patreon supporter, Expat Urban Football, who will be entered into the draw to win great prizes every month, including a, an LFC official shirt with whoever you want on the back. For more details, head over to patreon.com forward slash cop on podcast and our contribution plans start at as minuscule an amount as one measly dollar per month so if you're considering it that would be great for now this is free this is cop on hi welcome you spondicious love muffins to the latest episode of cop on i feel a bit worse for wear Today, having drunk seven different types of red alcoholic beverage last night to celebrate the number of matches that our glorious football club has won in a row for the first time ever. To help my kidneys, my head, my brain, my heart process it all, I spoke to Joe Cassinelli, a Liverpool fan, writer and Spanish football expert for The Times and ESPN. Here we are. PSG. What a match that was. Uh, Liverpool's official website says very succinctly, the Reds went two goals up in the first half through Daniel Sturridge and James Milner, only for the league uh, title holders to restore parity via Thomas Meunier and, late on, Kylian Mbappe. But Roberto Firmino, on from the bench just days after suffering an eye injury, found space to slam in a winner in stoppage time to give Jurgen Klopp's men the perfect start in Group C. Lovely. What wonderful memories, even from last week. So... Let's just focus on our goal scorers, if we may, Joe. Uh, in order, starting with Daniel Sturridge. What did you make of his performance? Oh, very good memories, aren't they, Aaron? Indeed. Yeah, Daniel Sturridge. Um, well, I was pretty surprised to see him in the lineup, first of all, um, with Firmino named on the bench, which obviously indicated he would have been fit to play. I was quite surprised to see him named in the side, but, you know, just showed that sort of his actions are speaking for themselves. He's spoken about how he's determined to fight for his place and how he's really determined to, you know, he likened it to being given a second chance with a with a girlfriend being back at Liverpool after his loan at West Brom and he looks like he really means it. You know, he was he covered a lot of ground for someone who, you know, I think people rather lazily refer to him as lazy. And he's not, you know, he's never going to be Roberto Firmino, but there are very few strikers in world football capable of doing what Firmino can do. But there are also very few strikers in world football capable of doing what Sturridge can do. And he just showed it with that wonderful header. And if if you were going to nitpick, the only thing you say is he might have had a hat-trick because he, it was his miscontrol and tackle on the goalkeeper when Salah poked in for this loud goal, which... Maybe after having played a couple more games, he might have just buried that first time. And then he had a header that he should have scored as well. So promising signs indeed. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he was, uh, yeah, he was a little bit unlucky, tiny bit rusty maybe, but there you go. Do you think he will stay happy with 
uh, this sort of cameo role with the odd start thrown in. Do you reckon that'll keep him happy this season? Yeah, well, I do think certainly for for this season, I think it'll keep him happy. You know, we've got to remember how injuries have plagued him over the years. So he's, you know, there's one thing is being able to sort of rely on him. And he's never really, since the 2013-14 season, been able to have a consistent spell of being fit while at the club. So I think, you know, both for him and the club, it's a good arrangement. I'm not sure if he'll be more than happy to do it for, say, more than this season. But I certainly think for now, you know, yeah, he's spoken about how good his relationship is with Klopp. Klopp said that he's in the fittest shape he's been in since he joined Liverpool, you know, three years ago. So it's, I think this season we'll see plenty of this. You know, I'm, I'm almost certain he'll start against Chelsea in the League Cup next week uh, and he'll get the odd start here and there when we've got these you know, hefty run of games coming up. You know, he might play in the Premier League with Firmino starts away in Naples. You know, maybe not Manchester City, but the game after that he might, you know, come in to give Firmino time to put his feet up and I think that for the moment he's happy to do that. And then obviously with no sort of international tournament of note, I know there's the the Nations League, but there's no World Cup or Euros at the end of this season. So I think this season Sturridge will be happy with that, but then he's also in the last year of his contract as well. So he's either playing for a new deal here or a deal elsewhere. And if it transpires that he does leave the club at the end of the season, then I'm sure we'll all wish him well and he can go with our blessing, especially if he keeps up performances like Tuesday night. I've got a question for you about James Milner, the second goal scorer of the night. Um, very simply put, is James Milner world class? Wow. Well, well uh, I think uh, you have to say yes, <laughs> don't you really? I mean, I mean what a player. Uh, like a fine wine, isn't he? He's getting better as time passes. You know, you look at the likes of Wayne Rooney and players like you know of a similar similar age who started playing Premier League football at the same age as him and he's still going in the Premier League for a side with title ambitions in undroppable form and you know his peers are all sort of in going into the sunset for a last payday in a in a less competitive league so I mean what he's just a an incredible athlete, isn't he? He's an absolute specimen. He wins all the fitness tests in pre-season. He takes the penalties. He doesn't miss the penalties. Touch wood. And he's just, he's brilliant. I've got to confess to you as well. I don't know what you made of it when we signed him, but I was sort of very underwhelmed when we signed. I, I thought he was a good squad addition, but he was signed as like a marquee player uh, at the time by Brendan Rodgers. And I didn't really... I thought, you know, he's a good squad guy, but in on that kind of money, you know, given the number of the famous number seven shirt, could we have, you know, opted for something better and spent the money better elsewhere? But, you know, a few years down the line, just look at how good and how shrewd a move it's transpired to be. And he's a player who has really flourished under Jurgen Klopp, isn't he? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I was, yeah, I do admit I was the same. I was like, ah, I, I think I remember 
my friend Dave asked me how I how I felt about James Milner, and I was as disparaging as to say I would prefer that we signed somebody with talent. How wrong was I? How wrong and cruel, judgmental. There you go. We live, we learn. Um, he, he is getting better, you know, in the Premier League this year. Uh, Milner has one goal and two assists in, in, in six games. Um, and uh, somewhat surprisingly, last year, given his Champions League form, he only got three assists in 32 Premier League games last season. And uh, lots of other stats like that are up for him. And uh, But the question, is he world-class? Um, do you think he would get into, let's be uh, really uh, wild here, do you think he would get into the Barcelona team in their midfield? Uh, oof, wow. Um, sort of, you've got Coutinho, Rakitic and Sergio Busquets would be the first choice three in midfield that play for Barcelona. And you have to say, he, I don't think he would take Coutinho's place. You know, we've all seen how just how special a player Coutinho is, and there's a reason that he's the third most expensive player in the history of the game. Uh, Sergio Busquets plays in the, the number six role, doesn't he? You know, the, the role that's more Jordan Henderson's position. But on, in his current, you know, in the current James Miller, James Miller's current form, you'd have to say he's got a real shot of displacing Ivan Rakitic and starting in, starting ahead of him. You know, I think the way he's playing at the minute he'd start for any team in world football. You know, you couldn't... There's no argument to be made against him not starting, really, is there? I can't see one. I totally agree. 100% agree. I think I, he would get in above Rakitic in that Barcelona midfield. Um, and what about Real Madrid? Who have they got? Oh, well, Real Madrid, yeah. Again, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz and Casemiro would be their, their first choice three. I mean, that's the the midfield where you'd, he probably would have the most difficulty getting in, largely because Luka Modric is probably going to win the Ballon d'Or this year, isn't he? So that tells you just how, just how good a player the little Croat is. And then Tony Kroos is an absolute Rolls-Royce of a footballer, isn't he? His passing game is exquisite. He always looks to have so much time and space on the ball. When we saw firsthand, unfortunately, in Kiev, just how they can take a game away from you. And I certainly think that was where Liverpool lost the match in Kiev. You know, Salah, uh, Salah and Karius uh, incidents aside, and the game was really lost in midfield. So you have to say, be given, it sounds a ridiculous sentence to say, but James Milner would be giving Tony Cruz a run for his money for a place in the Real Madrid 11. Uh, yeah, I think he would. I think he would on current form. Tony Cruz, watch out, man. Watch out. Jimmy Milner's behind you and he's pressing you like a terrier. Excellent. The third scorer against PSG. A goal that would live long in the memory. What a beauty. Bobby Firmino. The match against PSG was Bobby Firmino's 150th appearance for Liverpool. And of course, he scored with one eye. And I've done my research into mythical one-eyed creatures for this episode. And most of them, like the cave-dwelling, man-eating Catalan in Albanian mythology, are evil monsters. However, the Norse god Odin is associated with wisdom, healing, royalty, the gallows, knowledge, battle, sorcery, 
poetry and frenzy, all of which, for me, sums up Bobby Firmino's Liverpool career pretty well. How would you sum up his contribution to the Liverpool cause so far, Joe? Well, 150 games. He's not not actually been a Liverpool player for that you know, a huge amount of time, either has he, which just goes to show how fundamental he has become to Liverpool cause. I think that he was another player that when when he was signed, a few eyebrows were raised because it was in that sort of Rodgers summer when Benteke was brought in. And I think people didn't really know what Fabinho was, did they? You know, was he a striker? Was he a winger? Was he a number 10? Nobody really knew what he was and I think you know he was a bit underwhelming in his first few months but as soon as Jürgen Klopp came in and installed him in you know what we call the false nine but it's not a false nine is he he's a real number nine he scores goals he creates goals he does the business for his size needs him to step up and I can't think of a more perfect fit for a Jürgen Klopp football team right now than Bobby Firmino, maybe James Milner is the, another one, another man he's running close in that uh, award sense for, but he's just an absolutely wonderful footballer, and I think that his actual technique and ability on the ball has improved beyond recognition. You know, he's always had the stamina and the ability to tackle and harry defenders, but his actual end product's contribution is just getting better and better and better. And he's he's on number nine. He's brilliant. What did you make of his performance against Southampton? Well, again, it was um, obviously an interesting thing to see with Southampton because Jürgen lined up with it was sort of a more of a four-two-three-one, wasn't it? With Salah operating as a central striker and Firmino kind of play, playing as uh, a left left of the three in behind Salah. And again, it was. You know, there were there were times when we saw him popping up in our box, having tracked Cedric Suarez, the um, Southampton right back, all the way back, and you know Cedric tumbling over and wanting a penalty. But that just goes to show how much of a team player and how brilliant Roberto Firmino is, and what playing for Liverpool means to him, and what he means to us. He's you know tireless is the the way you describe him. He's, he's a tireless battering ram. Um, he was brilliant against Southampton, and not as eye-catching as, you know, as say Salah or even Shakiri, who had a very good little 45 minutes out there. But just the way he's just quietly effective and goes about his work is, is the reason that he's first name on the team sheet. Well, yeah. So let's, I mean, let's talk a bit more about Southampton. Uh, this this match yesterday, um, a stat from Andrew Beasley, the great Andrew Beasley. Liverpool haven't conceded a goal at home in 751 minutes, going back to Mikhail Antonio's goal in February. We've scored 23 goals in that time. Yesterday, there was an own goal, of course, that was unlucky for them, and two goals from set pieces. First, Trent swung in a corner for Matip's bullet header and the corner came from an amazing tackle by Cedric on Salah when Salah was through if you remember and then for the third goal Shakiri of course wallonkered a free kick against the bar for Mo to tap in having followed in uh, superbly really 
Um, Joe, what impressed you most about the win in general? Uh, yeah, in general, I think the thing that impressed me most about this win is a bit kind of like every game we've played in the league so far is we seem to still be winning in third gear, creating chances at will, carving team teams apart, and you know, Mane, Salah, and Firmino aren't firing on all cylinders. That's the thing that's most impressing me. The fact we can create all these chances because you know, last season there was times when if those three didn't play well, you just never didn't look like we'd ever score. And now it's completely, you know, we've just got different goal scorers and from different positions. You know, Shakiri's a new player who's coming and he can contribute. Obviously, as you say, the, the own goal was was unlucky and both unlucky and comical in equal measures, I think, is a, a fair way to describe that because it was just absolute pinball and the way it trickled over the line was quite hilarious. But then you've got Joel Matip heading in from a corner, and that's something that I also believe Liverpool need to need to do more of. And you know, this season we've shown that, that we are scoring more goals from set pieces, which is which is brilliant. It's great to be a menace at set pieces as opposed to just thinking, God, you know, this is just going to get headed away and we might get counted on. So, I mean, to come back to the question, what impressed you most about the win? Well, just that we played everyone across the board was a six, six and a half out of ten. There was no ten out of ten display, and yet we've just beaten some a team who would hope to finish in mid-table. We've just swatted them aside three-nil with relative ease and little discomfort. Excellent. And yeah, talking about goals from set pieces, I I see we're sort of top of the league for goals from set pieces. We've scored uh, four from corners, I think, and one from a free kick. Um, uh, and that's sort of discounting Shakiri's go- uh, Salah's goal from Shakiri's free kick yesterday. So yes, we're extremely dangerous. Like the corners thing. Sorry, just come back to it. Is, I, I mean, I could just remember when Liverpool used to get corners. I just I, I because it it would quite often be Jordan Henderson would take them, or even um, James Milner. And a lot of the time, you know, they would just hit the first man. I can I think if you remember back to the Borussia Dortmund game where. I know we did end up scoring from a set piece, from a free kick for the Lovren goal, and we did score the Sacco header, but that was from a pretty woefully taken corner. And I think in that game, all of Milner's corners just kept hitting the first man, and there was just this collective groan across the stadium when it kept happening. And then we had this period where sort of they would be dinked balls to the back post with no sort of real purpose or aim, and now we've got you know Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's capable of swinging in a vicious free kick. Mo Salah can take them left-footed as well, which I think is a real help because, I mean, having having two-footed players, having players who can naturally get some in-swing in and, you know, allow someone to attack the ball that way is is very helpful as well. I mean, we're just, we look like, much like with the, uh, the, the now infamous throw-in coach, it looks like Liverpool sort of leaving no stone unturned and were practising and trying to improve in the areas that we we were weakened because I think that personally think that our defenders should be scoring and contributing more goals. I mean, if you look at last season, Virgil van Dijk scored on his debut and then didn't score again. And for a six foot five colossus of a human being who's so good in the air, you, you know, you need to be thinking he's got to get minimum five headed goals a season. Lovren's great in the air; he should score more. 
from corners. Joel Matip used to have sort of was like a 50p head, wasn't he? He used to win all these promising headers in attacking positions, and the head, the ball would just fly in sort of any random direction. Occasionally they'd go in, and occasionally they wouldn't. But yesterday's header was delivered with real purpose and placement, and hopefully that's a positive sign of things to come. And that our centre backs, you know, if between sort of Gomez, Van Dijk, Matip, and Lovren, if they can reach. 10 to 15 goals between them this season, that would be a huge added bonus because they're going to be some games that are decided by the odd goal and that odd goal might just be from from a corner or from a free kick late in the game. Uh, well, yes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. Um, Shakiri. You you mentioned him before as you were impressed. Uh, it was his first start. Um, so yeah, what did you what did you make of it? His his forty five minutes. The pocket rocket, Shakiri. He's he was very good, wasn't he? He's, you know, he's we sort of we we knew what we were getting with Shakiri because we've seen him for the past couple of seasons at Stoke. He's very direct. He's got an absolute uh, hammer of a left foot, foot like a traction engine, as our friend Alan Partridge would probably describe it as. He. Um, <laughs> He's just—he's another player who adds real quality and depth to this squad, isn't he? You know, imagine how different history might have been if Sergio Shakiri were a Liverpool player on the bench of the Champions League final last year, rather than uh, an unfit Adam Milana coming on to play in a non-existent role in that front three. I think that Shakiri's 45 minutes were very promising. I think. Klopp mentioned after the game, didn't he, that it was a tactical change rather than any sort of injury. Which and it was in, but it was interesting to see that Shakiri was the one taken off as opposed to the front three. But I suspect that's because Shakiri will definitely get 90 minutes against Chelsea in the in the cup in midweek. And you know, if he continues to play as well as he played yesterday, and he was good in his cameo against PSG as well, then he's going to be giving the boss some selection headaches because it was his shot that led to the to the opener. I mean. I'm, I think he might try and claim it, but he'll have a. Uh, there'll certainly be the dubious goals panel there, telling him that's an own goal. Uh, but the set, you know, the, the what a free kick that was! That was an absolutely incredible strike, wasn't it? And I felt actually a little bit sorry for him that it hit the bar and Salah ended up tapping it in, as opposed to him being able to, you know, win goal of the month for sure with with the strike because it was just an incredible hit. And it's great to see that we've got another player in our squad capable of taking set pieces. He's another one who can whip in a ball for a corner. He's another who can you know, ping the ball in the top corner from a free kick from 25 yards. And when you've got the likes of him, Alexander-Arnold, Milner, you know, Salah likes to take free kicks as well. I'm sure that Virgil van Dijk would like to get his hands on them because I know he scored a lot of them in Scotland when he played for Celtic. So it's only positive and he's a great squad player I mean I don't I mean again much as Milner's proved me wrong I'd like Shakiri to prove me wrong and show that he could maybe become a, a first choice starter but I'm not sure that he he sort of ever will be a, a first choice player for Liverpool but I think that a club with our ambitions needs to have that kind of strength and depth on the bench you know you look Chelsea often have Willian or Pedro on the bench and that's the, you know those are two uh, into the full international footballers are two of the best teams in the world so we need that kind of calibre of player in and around our squad. And Shakiri will play between 
he'll make 20 starts this season at a margin minimum and probably play between 30 and 40 games if you include substitute appearances and I think that you know for him that's, he, he's alright with that and I'm very much alright with him being sort of the 12th man if you like or the 13th man of this Liverpool 11. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I thought it was very interesting how, how Klopp used him yesterday. He seemed to be, I mean, you were talking about a four-two-three-one. To me, it looked a little bit different to that, um, with uh, Shakiri sort of coming in from uh, the, the, the wing to play almost behind um, the front three. It was a very interesting role. And uh, Klopp said, uh, speaking about the substitution, he said... I said to Shaq at halftime that I had never brought a player off after such an influential time without an injury. It was not easy, to be honest. It's my job to sometimes deliver news nobody wants to hear. That's how it was at halftime, but he is a fantastic boy. That's what Klopp said. And I think, yes, he's proved himself to have a fantastic attitude so far. So bravo to him. I'm delighted he's a red. Um... The scorer of the second goal then, Joel Matip, won six out of seven aerial duels. He completed the most amount of passes with an 86% success rate. Uh, he scored. He won the ball 11 times or 12. It depends which stat site you look at. Um, he also won three interceptions and he generally dominated. Um, were you impressed, Joe? What did you think of it? Yeah, I was impressed. I mean, you have to caveat it with the fact that it was uh, sort of Shane Long on his own running around being the only sort of being a nuisance but not he's not really a, a physical presence is he so in terms of stuff like headers you you expect Matt Eper, I think is sort of six foot three six foot four to be winning a lot of headers especially against a player like Long but for a first start of the season I think it was his first start since March because he's had a torrid time with with injury yeah he did well and he looked uh, good next to Virgil van Dijk. I actually think if he hadn't got injured in pre-season, he would have started his first choice next to van Dijk and things might have been a little bit different for him. But he looked good. He's you know he's silky on the ball, isn't he? He's got a good passing range and he looks the business. He actually looks a bit like a sort of maybe a van Dijk light, if you like, because they, you know, they've got pretty similar languid styles on the football and they... They both kind of look like they're, they're too cool to break into a sweat at any time, just that Van Dijk is a bit bit more physically imposing than him. But he was good, wasn't he? Just dealt with what he had to deal with. He scored a brilliant header, but tougher tougher tests will certainly await for, for Joel Matip. Yes, yes. Um, I wouldn't... I I don't know, though. I mean, I would love to put him in the bracket of Virgil van Dijk, even a Virgil van Dijk light, but I think he needs a few more matches to be, you know, to, of a, you know, a similar good performance uh, as yesterday to be, to be given that uh, moniker potential. He's a good, um, he's a good backup option to have, I think, there, isn't he? I think, I mean, you want to be having four quality centre backs because injury or, you know, Matty and Lovren both seem to get injured by gusts of wind, don't they? So we need to certainly need uh, some strength in depth in that department. And Joe Gomez has had his wretched time with injuries and touch wood, his, his you know, rough luck with that is, is over. But 
you need strength and depth in that department, and he's exactly that. He's a full in, another full international. He's played hundreds of games in the Bundesliga. He's just approaching his peak years, and hopefully, he can uh, show why Jurgen Klopp brought him in when he first joined. He, you know, everyone was sort of wowed, weren't they, with his the way he looks? But I also think it was that we just got that fed up of what in, watching the likes of Skirtle and Sacco. The, <laughs> You know, anyone with any sort of ability of a uh, sort of a modicum of footballing ability, we were happy to see in the side. And he's, he's had a lot of ups and downs in terms of form. So I think he needs to put a run of form together as well before he's going to sort of convince that he should be a starter, especially ahead of Gomez and how well Gomez is playing. Mm, but that competition for places is. It's absolutely excellent, isn't it? And don't forget our fifth choice, Nat Phillips, who's, uh, you know, the sort of forgotten man from pre-season. But he was excellent in pre-season. And uh, maybe, you know, if we do have an injury crisis, Nat Phillips can come in. Anyway, let's uh, move on. There was a festival toilet's worth of crap written about Mo Salah before this game. Uh, So it was absolutely lovely to see Salah score and also smile throughout the game. He was having a marvellous time, wasn't he, Joe? Yeah, he was. He just, it was, you know, one of them, I think in recent weeks, he's probably not been playing with a smile on his face, has he? And yes, and that, you know, the, the sort of, as you say, festival toilets worth of uh, crap written about his non-celebration celebration or... Was he angry? Was he jealous of a teammate? Etc. Etc. It's just, it's guff, really, isn't it? All that kind of stuff, just clickbait uh, journalism for websites and social media trolls. Uh, but Salah was, I thought, he was somewhere close to his best yesterday. He gave Wesley Hurt and Vestergaard. Uh, did my best pronunciation now. Hopefully, please forgive me if you're Dutch or Scandinavian. I've done them. Horribly wrong, but I think he was back to his um, back to somewhere near to his best. It was you said before Cedric's incredible tackle on him that denied him a what you'd assume was going to be a a goal when he was through one on one with the keeper just six yards out that led to our second goal. And who can forget that moment when he ran through on goal, the ball sort of got stuck in his feet, and he just improvised with a an impish back heel that if it had gone in, would have all been absolutely crowing about it was a wonderful little breakaway and I think he likes playing in the central role actually I think he is becoming more of a more of a striker than a winger uh, as we're seeing his game evolve and he was just brilliant wasn't he just never stopped running never stopped pressing harried hassled he's he's just brilliant he's a wonderful wonderful footballer I think he is. Um, I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. He's the most underrated 44-goal-a-season striker-stroke-winger that uh, you're ever likely to see. Even when, even though he did, he hadn't scored in the, in the game or two before, he's had way more chances than anyone else. I think he's had 25 chances already this season, uh, which is uh, you know way, way above uh, the next best, which is Sadio Mane. I think he's on around about 18. Anyway, Virgil van Dijk's injury is not serious. Thank the maker. I was in an absolute... I was... I was uh, sweating uh, like 
like Sam Allardyce in a in a hammam. Because in my view, I think, despite the strength and depth and the good performance that we had, if we had to revert to Gomez and Lovren and Matip as our first choice defence, I don't know. Can, could we handle the Champions League with that defence? Well, I think we've seen in past seasons when Lovren and Matip have played together that they're both... They're both very liable to an absolute moment of madness, aren't they? You know, think back to the 4-1 defeat away to Tottenham Hotspur last season when Lovren just had half an hour's meltdown before being hooked off. He was playing alongside Matty. But then you've also got to think of his performances they've put in, like when we beat Manchester City 4-3 uh, in January, uh, Van Dijk missed the game through injury and it was Lovren and Matty playing together. And they played very well for 80 minutes and then <laughs> crumbled under the press, the Manchester City late pressure and we almost contrived to somehow draw that game with Aguero's late-headed chance, if you remember. Uh, I think we were all having kittens at that moment. And yes. Speaking of having kittens, yeah, I was exactly like my good self. When I saw Van Dijk grabbing his ribs as well because I just saw crap because you know we've got such a tough run of fixes coming up and if he'd broken a rib, you know, I don't know if it's, you'd imagine it's around a month out, wouldn't you? Because there's no way you can play with it either. That's the problem. And if it meant he was going to have missed, you know, Napoli away, City, Chelsea, all those games. You know, a season can kind of come unravelled in in the space of a month as much as it can turn on its head and become brilliant. So I think that. Well, here's a one for you. I was messaging a friend during the game yesterday who's a, a journalist in the UK who covers the, the Premier League for AFP. And he, he said to me the other day, he was talking to uh, someone and he said that basically for all the rave reviews Liverpool are getting, he still thinks that they're a Virgil van Dijk injury away from it being back to square one. And I don't think he's wrong. I think that you know now with the new goalkeeper... Uh, Alisson, Becker, you know, we look a lot more assured, and I certainly think that we'd be less kamikaze than we, you know, were with old Panface Mignolet or Loris Carius behind the Lover and Matty. But I, w I don't really want to see those two players playing together for a sustained amount of time in a Liverpool shirt ever again, really. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we won't need to. But if we did need to, I would, yeah, I'd be a bit. Uh, apprehensive. Yes, it's pretty. It's it's almost not worth thinking about, is it? It's such a such a frightening prospect. Um, let's move on to happier things. Then we've got seven in a row for the first time in history. Seven wins, six in the Premier League, one in the Champions League. Seven nil nil. Um, absolutely amazing. Are you surprised by it? Yeah, I was, I was really surprised by the statistic uh, at the start because obviously the club of Liverpool's history and stats, you'd have thought that they may have started the season like a freight train uh, in a few times. And I think that there is one season where they, lost, they drew the charity shield 1-1 and then won their first 10 competitive games. But obviously they, because they'd drawn the charity shield, which counted as a competitive game, that it was obviously one ten draw one, and we've won seven in a row, which is quite remarkable. And as I mentioned earlier, you know we're, we're playing, we're winning these games. You know we 
absolutely battered Paris Saint-Germain and the scoreline very much flattered them. And I only think that we we were at absolute maximum in third gear during that game. Admittedly, PSG looked like they were sort of stuck in neutral and stalling as they were trying to get the engine started, uh, if you were keeping to the car analogies. But we're just doing so well. And, you know, to win seven in a row in, in any any part of the season is is incredible. You know, we saw... T- was it Chelsea recorded 13 or 14 wins in a row the season under Antonio Conte when they won the league? And a lot of those were playing not that great and just sort of scraping a 1-0 or a 2-1 win. And it's the stuff, you know, you use this phrase with caution, but it's the stuff that, that champions do. And I think that starting the season in such a way just helps build momentum and a positive feel-good atmosphere around the club and you know Klopp is all about riding the crest of a wave of momentum isn't he in the good times he's an absolute you know it's, it appears like he's then carrying the club even further um, you know long may it continue is all I can say there's an interesting thing on that yeah I mean you know talk about how how it feels you know it creates a feel good factor I think it also instills fear in the opposition and I'm thinking back to you know our great teams from the last 10 years, 2008-2009 with Torres, sometimes, like uh, I remember his goal against Manchester United, for example, Vidic panicked and uh, the ball went, uh, he allowed the ball to bounce. He panicked because he knew Torres was there and it's almost as if the fear allowed him to score. Suarez, 13-14, he scored a couple of goals like that where defenders, you know, you'd have a long ball, an innocuous long ball and there'd be a defender and the keeper there. Normally they would deal with it with no problem. But the fear that Suarez was around allowed him to score um, on a few occasions. And I think... That's what this. That's the great thing about this. This fabulous start is that it creates fear in the opposition. Um, in the next two weeks, we play Chelsea, Chelsea again, Napoli, and Man City. Uh, what do you expect from those games, Joe? And uh, when's this run going to end? Is it going to end? <laughs> I would love to say it will never end and we'll win 38 games in the Premier League, win every Champions League game, win every cup, but I think we all sort of um, are realistic and long in the tooth enough to know that it will end at some point. It would be absolutely lovely if it didn't end uh, over the next four games because they are... If, you, if you're looking at picking an absolute nightmare run of fixtures, you know, an away trip to Naples is daunting. An away trip to Stamford Bridge is a place where we've had a lot of mixed results over the years. Some years we'll go there and dominate and win, but then uh, we've also had our fair shares of bad times against Chelsea, both in you know, domestic football and European football. And then you know, the, the icing on the cake is Manchester City coming to Anfield, which at the minute, is looking to be an absolutely blockbuster showdown. I think that um, of the next run of games, you know, if you just uh, certainly the next two league games, I'd be—I don't know how about you, but I reckon that I'd be happy. I'd be more than happy. I would sign for now taking four points from those two games because I just think that, you know, if we can avoid defeat, you don't necessarily have to win them. But if we can avoid defeat, it just sends out such a message, doesn't it? And as you said, with the fear factor, I think last season we saw a lot of teams would turn up against Manchester City already defeated 
and they just wouldn't they wouldn't even bother trying and City would just stroll to a three nil win. You know, happy as Larry, easy players didn't really have to exert themselves and you know, you hope that Liverpool can get to that stage because I think once you start getting to the stage where teams actively fear you and sort of write off the match against you, that's when you know you're a, you're one of the best teams in the land and that's exactly where we want to be. Uh, what do you reckon? Would you take four points for the next two games or would you want uh would you want more? Oh well I always want more. Uh but that's my that's my heart. My head is uh yeah, I mean away to Chelsea I will always take a point, you know. Since Abramovich came in they've been a really, really good team. So uh yeah, I would say uh, definitely take a point away to Chelsea. Although, having seen them today, I think Jorginho's a hell of a player. Um, and so is Kante, of course. They do seem a little bit toothless. And uh, they do have the odds. I mean, they, they're playing David Luiz at the back. And for me, I think that could be a, something we can exploit. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a very difficult match. And then Man City at Anfield... Uh, with my head speaking, I, I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised if they turned up and and beat us for once. Um, although obviously I I hope that doesn't happen. I think if we're fully fit, we can give them a hell of a game again, and uh, yeah, we can come away with the three points there as well. Final question: Who was your man of the match against Southampton? Oof, well. It's quite strange as well, I think, because I think the second half was a bit of a non-event as well, wasn't it? So I think sort of everything was just all kind of... It was sort of 90 minutes condensed into 45 minutes and then Southampton just spent the second half wanting to wanting to just get away without blooding their nose further. So in that respect, I actually was very, very impressed with uh, Jordan Shakiri, But seeing as how he was substituted at half-time, I probably can't select him as my man of the match so I will give it to uh, I think I give it to Mohamed Salah you can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe underscore in underscore Espana or follow his columns in the Times or ESPN next up have you ever heard a man's mind explode this is the start of my interview with Josh Earnshaw, a Mexican-American Chelsea fan from expat urban football. We started talking about Josh's summer holiday in Mexico and Mexican culture in general when he came out with this bombshell. Yeah, we, put, uh, we put salsa in our beer. What do you mean? Tomato salsa? Yeah, salsa, tomato, tomato, like a hot sauce. It's not hot sauce, it's salsa. It's got... Yeah, no, yeah, I know salsa, but I didn't know you can put it in beer. That's mad. Put it in beer and you sugar up the sides for with a dark beer. Tastes great. Typical price for a liter, because you, you can't get a pint. You get a liter for about a euro and a half. A euro and a half. Well, I never... The reason I spoke to Josh, of course, was to preview our two next matches against his team, Chelsea. And we recorded this before Chelsea's draw with West Ham. Uh, so the first thing I asked Josh was how surprised he was at how well Chelsea had started. 
Well, I've got to be honest, I'm not that surprised at all. Now, as a Chelsea fan, I'm never going to be surprised when we beat Arsenal. And it was an exciting game, but we came away with the win. We should beat that team. But the rest of the teams are all bottom 10 teams, with the exception of Cardiff, who are recently promoted. And if you look back at Chelsea starts, that's been our best. Five matches has been our best in the last 10, 15 years, if I'm not wrong. Um, remember, 2009 and the 2009-2010 season, 2011-2012 season, we both started with five wins. But again, those seasons, we played teams that were in the bottom 10 or recently promoted teams. So you can almost say this start's been our best start since Arsenal wasn't in the bottom 10 and we've come away with five wins. But if you look at each game individually, you'd just be gutted as a Chelsea fan to lose to Bournemouth or, or Newcastle. So I can't be that surprised. They're games, they're good wins, they're wins we, we should have. Well, that's a great answer. Okay, and uh, what or who has impressed you most about the start uh, to this season? Well, Eden Hazard's back. He's passing better. He's got a higher pass percentage. He's got five goals in five matches, and he didn't even have a 100% start at the season, at the beginning of the season. And he's been our key. Uh, this year, we don't really have any strikers to speak of, so when Hazard's not 100%, it's going to be very tough for us to get the win. Now, there's that, but there's also Jorginho, who I feel like he's got a new role, or he's playing a role that Chelsea hasn't had in a while, and it's kind of a, kind of a box-to-box midfielder, kind of like a Pirlo, but he's so quick on the passes, and so when he gets the ball from a defensive position, he's so quick to get it into the midfield, and then he's coming up, he's getting the ball back, he's waiting for all the, the attack to get coordinated, and then he's releasing. He's getting these longer passes in, which are, are really throwing off the defense. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that he's at, he's at the top of the, the passing stats for the Premier League, and, you know, he's had more touches than anyone else in the, in the league. So, I mean, that tells me that everything goes through him, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it goes to, to Sari's strategy as well. Excellent. And tell us about... Well, tell us about Sari. I mean, what do, you, what do you make of him so far? What kind of strategy is he employing? Well, I was not convinced at first of the 4-3-3 formation. I liked Conte's formation, the 3-5. But it's really grown on me. He he's really seems to be an attacking manager. He wants short, quick passes. He's not a big fan of the long ball. Uh, and you see, once Chelsea have the ball... They're launching these attacks that just overwhelm their opponents. And, you know, he's got to work with what he has. He doesn't have a good striker. He just doesn't. So I, I think that Conte was more of a, of a manager that, that centered on his strikers. And he wanted the striker to play the role of the striker, of the goal scorer. And I think Sarri is more open to creativity. He doesn't really play the striker as a central role. He's, he's, he's open to whoever's got a little bit of inspiration in them to get either the assist or to make the play or to get the goal. And that's why you're seeing Hazard score five in, in five games. It's, a, it's an amazing stat, isn't it? It's a great start to the season for Hazard. I mean, he only got 12 goals uh, in all of last season, I saw. So, yeah, five already is, uh, is pretty amazing. I mean, is he, 
But is he that good, or did he get a hat trick against a very poor Cardiff side? I can't, I can't quite work it out. I mean, I've only seen the highlights. I, you know, I, I don't really know. But uh, you know, was it? Is he really? He's really on fire. You're saying better, better than before. Better than before. I think he's really on fire. And look, you can look at a player's hat trick, and you can look at the team and say, well, they weren't that good. But a hat trick's a hat trick. You know, and he got the penalty. He's the Chelsea penalty taker, but he's still got to put him in. And I don't think anyone can argue that um, the pass he received in the second goal from Drew was less than optimal. But he made the best of it. And just to put it away like he did in that bottom corner, just barely out of the touch of the keeper. I mean, that's just brilliant. Well, true. Yeah, and he scored some great goals against Liverpool in the past. So I'm a little, I have to say, I'm a, I have to admit I'm a bit scared about him. Um uh, going back to the manager a bit, I mean, how do you think he'll set up? So we've got two games in a week, the Carabao Cup and uh, Saturday's next Saturday's league match. Um, how do you reckon he'll set up? I mean, imagine he'll he'll rotate for the Carabao Cup, right? Yeah, yeah. He's going to, I mean, obviously he's going to have to, but we got a lot of players that are great players that haven't really had a chance yet. And you're going to see them you're going to see them start, I think. So I think he's going to go with Emerson, Cahill, Christensen, and Zappacosta in the back four. I think uh, in the midfield, he'll probably go with Barkley, who hasn't seen a lot of minutes. Uh, Drinkwater, probably get his first start, since he, he's not in the Europa League uh, squad. And then, I don't know who he's going to put on the, on the right, but I'd like to see Moses. Um, has he been playing in the league matches, Victor? No, he hasn't got time yet. I haven't okay. got time yet, and and I I personally like him. I'm a fan of Victor Moses. I think he's he's been at the club a while and done some great things. But he he fit well into Conte's five across there on the wing, and I can see how he's not really going to fit in with a four three three. But he's still a great player. He can still get out on that wing, and I think he's still got some some years in him as well. Well, yeah, it's a good point. He's definitely got the energy for it, hasn't he? For a midfield, a right midfield role, or yeah. And uh, what about uh? What's uh, what's Sarri going to do up front then in the Carabao Cup? I think he's going to rest Hazard for the league game. So I think we'll see William. And then Murata played in the Europa League game. So if you follow that rotation, he'll probably play again. And then he'll probably go with Pedro on the right. That seems to be working. I mean, we need we need the the offense. It seems like a good uh, that seems like a good attack. But you seem a bit down on your strikers. No, we just don't have good strikers. Um, Giroud and Murata, they're, they're just okay, but, but Chelsea would be a bottom-of-the-table club without, without Hazard, without William, without Pedro, without these, these attacking midfielders. I mean, Giroud and Murata, just, they just don't get it done. I, I, I hate, and I know Giroud had a couple assists. One of them, I think, was not even a very good pass. Anyway, but I just think Giroud's terrible. So, okay, so that's the team for the Carabao Cup. Uh... And, and also... Keeper, you're probably going to go with Caballero. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, okay. And how is your new keeper, by the way? I mean, a weirdly appropriate name, but is he a good keeper? Keeper? Uh, yeah. Yes, he's done very well. Uh, was surprised he was in the Europa League squad. I thought Caballero would get his chance, but that just, I think, he'll definitely play against West Ham. And if you follow the rotation, Caballero's probably going to be there. Would have loved to have gotten Allison, of course, but it wasn't in the cards. It's okay. 
well, he chose a better team, didn't he? Yeah, but, uh, as some would say okay. that. <laughs> some would disagree with that, but some some would say that. Okay. And uh, good, okay. And if you, if you, this may be quite a difficult um, question, but if you were going to pick a side to play against Chelsea, like, is there a particular way to set up that you would suggest to beat Chelsea or... Basically, what what kind of weaknesses do you have in your team, if any? Oh, the strikers. If you, I would almost work hard to shut down Hazard, and I wouldn't worry as much about Giroud or Morata. Uh, I don't think they're, sh- they're capable of of collecting the ball and getting a solid shot. You know, and and with Giroud, you got to worry about the corners. You got to worry about the crosses because he does have a head on him. But other than that. You gotta, you gotta shut down Hazard. What team do you expect for the league match next week? Oh, I think he's gonna go with uh, what's worked, what's been working. Uh, his back four: Alonso, Luis, Rudiger, and Aspilicueta. And then across the midfield, you have Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte. And then the three up front. I'd like to see him go with William Hazard and Pedro play a false nine instead of Drew or Morata. But that does send a message to the strikers that you don't have a lot of confidence in them. But this is about winning games. Have they scored many goals, your strikers, this year? Like Morata and Giroud, have they scored? Yeah, Morata has a goal and Giroud has a goal, but it wasn't a league goal. But, I mean, our goals are coming from the midfield. It's it's Hazard, it's, it's William, it's Pedro, Alonso's got a goal. He's, I mean, he's a wonderful player, isn't he? Marcos Alonso. We, we've got Andy Robertson, who's also like just an unbelievable player. So it'd be good to see those two, even though they're not, obviously they're on different sides of the pitch. I mean, it'd be interesting to see them on the same pitch though and see how, how well they do. Um, as an outsider, um, I was speaking to PSG fans today, uh, actually, um, and they were sort of, surprised at how good Liverpool are this season um would you be surprised I mean I what do you think of Liverpool this season do you think we're any good or it's overblown scouse optimism oh it's they're gonna threaten for the title more than City and more dangerous than City my only I console myself thinking that maybe with the Champions League the pressure's gonna make you like weaken you for the for the for the end of the of the season and maybe we'll be able to edge past. But for me Liverpool's the, the gotta beat team more than City. And you have some excellent players and right now I think of anyone Milner has just really stepped up. Really playing well. Yeah, so uh, you know, you're absolutely right. James Milner is playing like what's he playing like? He's playing I mean, a man possessed, they're full of cliches. I mean, football's full of cliches. A man possessed, a, a titan, a, the Duracell bunny. But he's, he's got more elegance to that. He's sort of the, he's the, he's like a, it's like watching a ballet dancer who's taken a lot of steroids over the years. <laughs> you know, I was going to um, mention that. You look at it physically, he's menacing, he's a big guy. He's built like a tree. Absolutely. Um, so so what predictions do you have? The final thing, Josh, it's been absolutely great talking to you. 
final question. What are your predictions for both games? Oh, you're just you're just not gonna not gonna get me to get down on my team. I'm gonna say Caribou Cup three to two. It's gonna be exciting. We're gonna see some young players. It's gonna be great. I think the league a little more of a boring game. One nil, all for Chelsea. Wow, I like the optimism. And uh, th- thank you so much. It's, it's been absolutely a real pleasure talking to you, Josh. Oh, it's and, been a pleasure, um, Owen. I appreciate it. And good luck with the Expat Football Group. What's it called again? We are Expat Urban Football. You can find us on Meetup, uh, regular five-a-side games. And we also have a league team, five-a-side league team. We're 2-0, and so we're doing great. And thus like a tortilla around some tasty chicken and vegetables. That about wraps it up. Thank you so much to my guests, Joe Cassinelli and Josh Earnshaw, but the greatest thanks, as always, goes to you, you scrummy little hound dog, for listening. We'll be back before you know it, so until then, walk on, sisters and brothers, walk on with hope in your hearts.